0: Have you ever been in a situation where the plan you were doing, what you thought you were going to do, was not working out? I'm not alone. No matter how hard you tried, plan A was not working out. Well, in this scripture, we're talking about a new covenant. It's not plan B. God doesn't have a plan B. Jesus has always been and always will be plan A. It wasn't a mess up from the Old Testament that God had to fix. Jesus has always been plan A. The new covenant is ordained by God and it always is his plan from the beginning. And why is that important? Well, for one, God is sovereign. If we don't believe that, then we can believe that God can lose control of all the things that are going on around us. We can look at the last two years and think, God must have been asleep at the wheel. God was not asleep at the wheel. God is in control, and God is in charge. No matter how terrible the circumstance may seem to be, God is in charge, and he's in control. He's doing what he's always planned on doing. He does not change. So we don't need to worry about that. When things get difficult or challenging, don't worry about it. God's still in control. Just ask, what do you want me to learn from this God? So we have a new covenant. Jesus was not sent as a last-ditch effort to fix a broken plan. He is the way, the one, and the only way. The way, the truth, and the life. It says in Ephesians 1, through 3-4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen to this. Even as he chose us before the foundation of the world. Does that sound like he didn't know what he was doing? He had this plan from the beginning, before we even thought of us. Before we were even thought of to each other, I'm saying. God always knew. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before the foundations, it was ordained that Jesus Christ would be the Passover lamb. For those who would call on his name, he's our Passover lamb. If we don't get anything out of this, we need to know that, that Jesus is our sacrifice. But I'm hoping and praying that we get so much more out of this. It's amazing to me that God would become a man. He didn't have to do that. What's really interesting is, as we look in the Old Testament in the areas where it looks like, what's going on there? We, look, we see all this destruction. We see, we see God's chosen people. We're thinking, I don't want to be chosen if it means 400 years of bondage and, and slavery. And that's just what happened. And that's what, that's what brought about the first Passover lamb. So we're going to go from the Old Testament to the cross. As you might already know, Many of the events in the Old Testament are always pointing and foreshadowing Jesus. And in this instance, we're going to talk about the Passover lamb and how it's pointing to the Last Supper. And we got to uh, experience um, a Seder meal back in at Easter time, at the Passover then. And man, that just was so mind opening. But We're going to touch on some of that, but here's what I want us to get out of this. is that The coming of Jesus, the first and the last, is foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament. And the Passover is foreshadowing the Last Supper. So getting to the Last Supper, or the first Passover, excuse me, the very first Passover served as God's instrument for which he would deliver the Hebrews from 400 years of slavery. And the account is found in Exodus 12. From freedom of the Egyptians in captivity and bondage and slavery to the freedom from death and sin that is fulfilled in Christ. That's where we're going to go. With the first Passover, we read that the Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. Nine plagues before the final one. Nine plagues. For every God that the Pharaoh had, God had nine plagues for the answer. And then Pharaoh had this bad habit of trying to kill all the Israelites. And what happened when that happened? They just kept multiplying. They just kept multiplying. And it's interesting because we see when when Jesus came, Herod tried to do the same thing. It's not a coincidence it's, this, it's the devil at work trying to destroy God's plan. But God is... See, God and the devil aren't opposites. God's up here. Amen? Amen. This God, devil is nothing. And it says in the Bible that we will laugh when we see what a little thing the devil was. It talks about in the prophets. So with the first Passover, God gives them nine plagues. Every time the, uh, the, uh, Moses came to him and said, let my people go... He turns the water to uh, blood. All these things are happening. You can read about that. I, didn't really want, I don't really want to get into that. But then the final thing happened is that the foreshadowing of Christ in the Passover, the similarities are just amazing. We're getting on to the 10th plague and God's got a plan. God's got a plan and he's always had a plan. The f- sacrificial lamb must be chosen. As, as Joanne read, the sacrificial lamb must be chosen. So there's like Five similarities, and there's more. I just wanted to touch on these five. On the 10th of Nisan, that is what we call Palm Sunday. When Jesus came in to Jerusalem, and people were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, is the same time that they chose the Passover lamb on the Jewish calendar. The same time. It's not. Do you think that's a coincidence? This is the day that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem. Number two, a lamb without blemish. No marks, no anything like that could be on that lamb. The lamb that the Passover lamb had to be perfect. How many of you know that Jesus was perfect? He was without sin. Same thing. It says in 1 Peter 18 to nineteen and Peter's discussing how we are to live in new life obedient as obedient children. And it says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious with the precious with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See how that corresponds? See how that answers our need? Our need to be covered in the blood of the lamb. And number three, the Passover lamb was slain on the eve of Passover, the 14th day of Nisan, the first month of the Jewish calendar. It talks about that in Exodus 12.6. Jesus is the lamb that was sacrificed at the same time lambs were being slaughtered, were being killed on the 14th day, the same time. Number four, the Hebrews The Hebrews were not to break the bones of that lamb. Jesus was on the cross. And it was getting late. And the guards come along. What the plan is, is they want to hurry this thing along. So they'll come alongside and take something to the legs of the prisoners. They got to Jesus. And he was already, he had already passed. His legs were not broken. There was not a broken bone in Jesus. This brings us to the blood. The blood that we're washed in. The blood that wiped away our sins. The blood on the doorposts that enabled God's judgment to pass over the children of Israel. And yet kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And those not covered in that blood. The blood of Jesus sets us free from sin and bondage and separation from God. And for them, it separated, it, the blood of the Lamb freed them from captivity. And we're freed from the captivity of sin. It says in 1 Corinthians 5-7, I thought this was an amazing verse. and never read it this way until I'm reading it in the context of all that's going on here. Paul is reminding us here that we are a new creation. But it's not that verse that you're thinking it's this, in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Is it, does it sound like anything from Passover? Cleansing out the leaven? That leaven is in us. Is the wrong, the sin, the stuff we need to deal with. So God didn't save us just so we could remain the same. He didn't save us. If that was the case, we wouldn't be here right now. He just took us right up. We got things to do here. We got work to do here. We got sanctification to happen here. So it says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. You really are unleavened. You're called out of that. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. It's like, okay. We, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. What now shall I do? That's how we should look at it. What then, Lord, what will you have me do if I'm resting in that? Picture it this way. You were once imprisoned, and now you're set free. Think of like the, you think of Exodus. And it was funny because it was interesting. A lot of times the Hebrews were wanting to take us back to that. They're set free, and they wanted to go back to it. How many times do you think we're set free, we're, like out, we're let out of the gates, And we go running back in. Why do we do that? I'm like, I'm set free from this sin, and then I run right back to it. But you know what? This is great. God's grace and mercy keeps opening that gate for you. Right? Amen? The grace and mercy of God is always available to us. He knows we're going to fail, but that doesn't mean we need to have license to fail or embrace the failure. We take that failure and turn it to repentance and seek God in it and grow in it. So this brings me to the new covenant. We're in a new covenant, which was always plan A. It was always been plan A. It was foretold by the prophets, by Paul and by Jesus. The prophets Moses, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel all allude to the new covenant. Actually, it was predicted before the foundations of the world, right? I already covered that. But they talk about it. And Jeremiah, I love this verse by Jeremiah, is talking about the new covenant years before Jesus comes. It's in Jeremiah 31. Verses 31 to 34, they predicted it. That's kind of a loose translation. I mean, I predicted so-and-so will win this game. No, God was get, they were getting God's word. They weren't predicting it. They were telling you what's going to happen. A prediction to me, I think, sounds too much like flip a coin and see what happens. So I don't believe they really predicted it. They knew it, just like God knows it. Newsflash. <laughs> We're born lawbreakers. Sin isn't something we just do, it's something we are. We sin. We are sinners. Outside of Christ, we are sinners. It's not something we do on occasion, it's what we tend towards. That's why the blood had to be shed. We're lawbreakers. We're sinners and we need Christ. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Amen. Amen. And Paul clears it up further. So we got Jeremiah. There's other prophets too. We got Jeremiah and we got Paul. Clears it up in the extent of the promises to the Gentiles. So we can look, easily look at that. Okay, that Jeremiah is speaking to the nation of Israel. Paul's going to clear that up for us. He says, In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand. There's that again. Prepared beforehand for his glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Most of us in here are uh, Gentiles. Or were, but now we're grafted into the family of God. We're, we're not, that's not who we are anymore. What we are is children of God. We're not called to be Gentiles. We're not called to be Americans even. We're called to be Christians. We're called to be disciple makers. We're called to be the church. We're called to be the children of God. And he goes on to say, As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people I will call my people. Hallelujah. And her who was not beloved, I call beloved. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. If that isn't an amen, I don't think there's such thing as an amen. Sons of the living God. Sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters. We are family. We are the church. The church that Christ is building and has built and will continue to build. And Jesus explains this himself. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. I am sacrificing my life for you, the church, for his children, for the children of God, sons and daughters of the king. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup. They had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. I want to clear this up. The bread and the juice, the wine, bread and the wine. We're not drinking wine today, we're drinking juice. Imagine, and remember, if you will, some of you, most of us, the day you were married, your wedding vows, just as the ring is tied to those vows, the ring is not those vows. The ring is not the marriage. What is it? It's a symbol. The bread and the wine are symbols for us to remember what Christ has done, to remember the sacrifice. It doesn't become the actual body of Christ and it doesn't become the actual blood of Christ. It's a symbol. And when we take that, I hope we are not just thinking about what Christ has done for us when it's Communion Sunday. I hope we don't, if we're married, I hope we don't think just about our spouses on our wedding anniversary. We wouldn't do that, would we? I think sometimes we do. We take our spouses for granted and we take Christ for granted when we only think about him on even Sunday. If we only think about Christ on Sunday and you're not thinking about Christ Monday through Saturday, is that a relationship or is is it your occasional friend or a trinket or something you just wear around your neck? He's not jewelry. He is the king. He's not something I do occasionally. He is my life. He is my only hope. He is my salvation. He is my Lord. So the ring is a sign of a promise. The bread and the water is a sign of a promise as well to remember. And not only that, remember what he has done, but to remember what he's going to do. (sighs) I lost my place. That's what happens when you leave your notes. So I'm now adopted into the family of God, his child. He is my father. Imagine. I, mean, I That's a different message maybe a little bit, but I came, I came from a place where I didn't really have that father role. And um, a lot of you guys have had encounters with people like that and maybe them people as well. But God's that Father. He more than stepped in. Then in another twist, Jesus tips his hand and tells us what we have not heard the last from him, that we haven't heard the last from him, even after he has been sacrificed. It will be fully fulfilled. And that's why I was talking about, to things to come. Fulfilled in the kingdom of God, Luke twenty-two eighteen. 18. For I tell you that from now on, this is... I, and I never really notice some things you just notice unless you really get into it. So read God's word. Just read it slowly and meditate on it. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. There's still something going to happen, isn't there? This isn't it. We're not only free from sin, but God's bringing another kingdom. This will be a banquet, this won't be just a little supper. This won't be a little communion bread and a little wine. This won't even just be tacos. Right? This can be far more than that. It says in Isaiah 25, 6-9, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people. How many know that's death? That's swallowed up. So you can eat at this feast and not feel guilty. Oh, I mean, I I cannot wait. I cannot wait for that. The veil has spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is your God. We have waited for him that he might save us. He has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice today even. Rejoice today in his salvation. And that's what we're remembering. This is a hallelujah, amen. (laughs) But, wait a minute, but how then should we live in light of this? Individually, as fathers, as mothers, as brothers, as sisters, as children of God, how should we live as a family who loves and cares for one another? The family of God is what I'm talking about. How do we do communion? How does the church do communion? We one another. It's going back to one another. What we talked about the last week and the weeks before. So what else should we consider as we take communion? What should we be thinking about? Jesus isn't only interested in our hearts today. This very moment. He's in- interested in our hearts yesterday. And the days moving forward, not just on Sunday. We should be living lives that are examined. We should be examining ourselves all the time, through eyes, the eyes of Christ. First, communion is a church act. It's a church act. The body of believers, it's a church act. We do communion together. Communion doesn't have any part of an I in it besides the letters, but communion means community, to be together. Number two, only those who trust in Jesus' death to save them should, should commemorate Jesus' death while doing communion with the church. It's not for the ungenerate It's not for those who are outside of the blood of Christ. It's for those who are saved. Communion as such, we should be examining ourselves, looking at ourselves honestly and truthfully, because God knows more than we even know about ourselves. We should be, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Right? Amen? Paul encouraged us, encourages us to be sure that before we take the elements, to be careful and examine ourselves. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven 27-29, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person, verse 28, let a person examine himself Then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Communion is not for the unregenerate. It's not for unbelievers. It's for the church, and it's not for those who are unrepentant. If you're in a place where you have not repented of sin, do not take the bread or the cup. It's clear warning. It can't be any clearer. And that's why I sent out a verse, uh, or the verse, that email this week, and some of you may have gotten it, maybe not, that we would come in here discerned, with our hearts discerned. I think sometimes we can get thrust into a moment like this, and we just it can become so nonchalant. So lackadaisy, we take the bread and the wine without even thinking what we're doing and it becomes too casual. And so I wanted us to be thinking about it before we get to this point. Paul continues to warn the Corinthians and us too if we realize that God's word is for us. Some people were falling ill and even died because of non-reflective approach to this event. So we should be reminded to take the ordinances of God, seriously, very seriously, looking back to where we've been, I'm sorry, looking back on where we came from, dead in sin with no hope, and what God has done for us through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. We are given God's Word. It's perfect and inerrant. Let that do a work on us. It's authoritative and sufficient, not just for these reasons of communion should we be doing this, because the word of God will accomplish what it promises. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Let me read Hebrews 4, 12, 13 to 14 to you. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When that's happening, we should be paying very close attention. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's even us as believers. We don't escape accountability. So take the word and confess our sins, be right with the Lord. It should be doing a work on us. And we ask questions like, how am I doing, God, as I'm reading your word? Speak to me. Give me an ear to hear and a heart of understanding. How is my walk with Jesus? How is my relationship to those most important to me? How is my relationship to my family, to my friends, and to my church? Because that's our family. Our families, those in the church closer than it may be for some blood relatives. It ought to be. That's what God's been telling us. Communion. So just as the Passover meal defined God's people in the Old Testament, set apart God's people in Egypt, they continued telling and retelling the story of God's deliverance. That's how we got the Old Testament to a certain degree. Today, we retell the story of what Christ has done for us by having communion and retelling the story of our salvation, how we became God's children, disciples of Jesus, deliverance by the sacrifice of his body and blood given to us for the remission of sins. So a few weeks ago, we celebrated baptism. That's the first step of obedience when you become a Christian. That's the first step. It's proclaiming to the world, I'm aligning with Christ. I am a part of the church. I am this. You know, um, early church, baptism, doing that, that cost you your life. And I don't see anybody hunting us down after we get baptized at the Moors the other day. But that that was a big proclamation. And then after that, the second ordinance that we're supposed to keep is the Lord's Supper. And that's how we continue to tell the world, That we are Christians. We celebrate, I hate to use the word celebrate, but we remember the death of Jesus for our sins and who we are associated with now. We keep telling that story over and over, but hopefully not just on Sunday and not just on communion. To participate in the Lord's Supper is to proclaim the saving death of Christ. The Lord's Supper announces the gospel. The Lord's Supper announces the gospel. You therefore must recognize the body, the church. In other words, there is a connection between love for Christ and love for his people. And I know that this verse can be kind of piercing. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. That's 1 John 4.20. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Did you know when we're forgiven by Christ, he don't hold a grudge? He goes, I forgive you, but that time you, he don't, Christ don't do that with us. How many of us do that with others? Just me, okay. You guys are all right. It'll be all right with you. (laughs) so what sometimes love isn't what you feel in fact a lot of times love may not be what you feel but it is obedience to the gospel it's obedience to what christ has done for you and are we being obedient do we realize what christ has done for us but still throw dirt on other people if you can't say amen you better say ouch I'm guilty, but God's grace is sufficient. So in review, we observe the first Passover as God's blueprint for what has come to fullness. We then understand the foundation or this blueprint carried out in Christ Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. In the moments before his crucifixion, he not only points us to the purpose and meaning of the Lord's Supper, which we will partake here in a moment, but he reminds us of the future fulfillment when he states, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. It says in Isaiah 25, 9, which part of it I already read, most of it I already read, Behold, this is your God, we have waited for him. We are waiting now for him, that he might save us. He has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Rejoice in the community that God has given us. Rejoice in the church that God has given us to minister to. Rejoice in what Christ has done for us and one another, each other. And giving God the, the last word I turn to with 1 Thessalonians five twenty three 23-24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful will also do it. Amen.